This is Incorporate Zimcast. This is Incorporate Zimcast. That's true. That's false. The podcast is live. The Zim Dream is alive. I agree. Welcome to the Incorporate Zimcast. This is Incorporate Zimcast. With your host, Joe Sana. special um today we've got a lady who's dedicated over 20 years to becoming a top female swimmer in the history of the olympic games this lady has been to five olympic games won seven individual olympic medals two gold four silver and one bronze i bet a few of you might have an idea of who i'm speaking about but before we even get to that, we need to understand that she's broken multiple, multiple world records and had one of the best world championship careers of all time. And she's one of our own, a member of the International Olympic Committee, Executive Board, Chairman of the Athletes Commission, Vice President of the International Surfing Federation, a member of FINA's Athletes Committee, and a member of the World Anti-Doping Agency. She was recently appointed as well as the chairperson of the Senegal 2022 Youth Olympic uh, Games Coordination uh, Commission and none other than the Honorable Minister Dr. Kirsty Lay Coventry. Okay. Kirsty. Kirsty. <laughs> when you were, before you... You got into the position you are in now when you were still swimming. Did you actually think that you'd see yourself in such a position after the professional swimming career? Okay, cool. So, uh, no, I did not see myself in this position. Um, I knew that 2016 Rio Olympics was my last games in the pool. And uh, I had been a member of the International Olympic Committee Athletes Commission since 2012. And uh, I had really come to enjoy representing athletes, learning more about the Olympic movement. Um, I feel that as athletes, we just sort of, not that we just, but you show up to an Olympic Games and everything is done. You never really get to see or appreciate everything that happens before you get there. The building, the making, the being a part of, the planning. Um, there's hundreds of people that go into just the pre-planning. Right. Um, just the IOC alone has, I think, close to like 550 oh, staff wow. every day in Switzerland dedicated to Olympic Games. Wow, so, that's the behind the scenes. Yeah, <laughs> it's so big. And so like coming into the Athletes Commission, I didn't know any of that. Um, and after spending the four years and then um, for the last two years been um, had the privilege of chairing the commission, I had seen more of my future within the Olympic movement, um, whether it be national through the Zimbabwe Olympic Committee or remaining through international um, or through the FINA um, Athletes Committee. I just I really enjoyed that. And it, it, it was great because when I finished my career, it wasn't like I was just done with the Olympic Games. It was still there. You know, I still had an involvement in 
a world that had become my entire world for 20 plus years. So it made the transition of retiring much easier. Um, and so I had seen myself more in that realm, okay. um, more like sports politics, I guess. Um, um, and so, yeah, when the appointment came, I was very surprised, um, okay. honored, um, surprised. Uh, the first thing I thought was, what does a minister Yo, you- do? I've met a lot of ministers. I mean, I know, you know, I know the general, you know, the policy and the direction. Yeah. But I was like, what do they do day to day? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> okay, so I just, it's, it's been, it's been exactly almost two years now. Yeah. This was September. Two and a bit. So it was se- hmm. September 2018. Wow. So two years and three, four and a months. Bit, yeah. But I must say, it probably took me at least a year and a bit to really fully understand what a minister is supposed to do, where within the entire ministry they should be giving guidance, you know, Mm -hmm. what things, um, yeah, I think you sort of learn it as you go, Uh, what things can you sort of have higher impact on what day-to-day things is it more the permanent secretary and it's not really the minister that gets involved in that um obviously you have a say but there's so many other things and there's a lot more events that you have to do and um yeah and so i it took me a while and, and i to just fully understand also what previous ministers had done okay and what had worked for them and what hadn't worked, you know, back, not just in thing, because the Ministry of Youth, Sport, Art and Recreation, in the first few months that I was there, um, the two years before that had had five ministers. So it, it was really my, I, when I came in, the first thing that I realized is I've got to get everyone to work as a team. We were very much working in silos. Youth was doing one thing, sport one thing, art one thing. And sport and art had a bit more experience of working together, Mm -hmm. but youth had, you know, had never really worked with sport or arts department before. So they were just, everyone was working in silos and programs with young people that would involve sport and art, but no one would talk to each other. And a lot of that first year was just spent in sort of team building and trying to bring people together and see a vision and sort of say, okay, how do we get to achieve these things? And what is it also that the directors are wanting to achieve? Because you've got to understand what your teammates want in order for everyone to feel fulfilled, for everyone to be, feel that they're doing something. Um, And obviously then in an environment where things are constantly changing, Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the first few months, I remember thinking, what have I done? Um, because uh, the only reason I say that is because um, I'm not a I'm not a finance person. I understand it and I can read balance sheets and things. But the first few months, I, so I, I was appointed in September and October, November, December is all finance. It's all about budget that you're going to get for the next year. I had documents like this and I was like, right. what does this even mean? And it's like millions of dollars. And I'm thinking, what the, you know? And I was trying to like understand and like piece together all the different departments. And so um, while I think 
coming from more of a technocrat side of sport um, and understanding and loving art. My brother-in-law is an artist, so I fully understand what artists have had to go through and go through in their career. And obviously, then being right. a young person, we I, I, I get that too. But um, I think it just took me a little bit longer trying to figure out all those other things that if you are coming from within government, you probably have a better understanding. Absolutely. Um, Actually, you speak of guidance. I remember you spoke of guidance. Has, have, have you been provided guidance since entering? Like, you speak yeah. of former ministers who, was it like people out there to help you and just make sure the road was easier? So, yes, I had um, some some ministers, some of my colleagues, um, what, your mom being one of them, um, <laughs> Minister Mushanga, who who really stepped in and just offered right from the get-go any kind of guidance. Um, and I've had that from a few of the other ministers, from Honorable Minister Espy Moyle um, and, and also from my permanent secretary. Uh, someone reached out to me right early in the, in the, when I first was appointed within the first like week and they were like, you need you know, to have someone that understands government someone that understands you know the, the politics um and that can really be there to help and guide you and um i had then um a few weeks before had met dr Tatepo and i was like well i know she's a permanent secretary and so i was like i you know i remember speaking to a few people and being like well i think i think i would work really well with dr Tatepo. i'm not sure how that works like do i get to choose my permanent secretary which you don't but um, I did, I, I was able to sort of say like, these are the permanent secretaries that I've met in the past and I think that we would click and work well together. And I was then fortunate enough to be assigned uh, Dr. Tatepo and she's really been very good. Um, and then I knew some of the, like I knew the sports director from obviously sport, she's, she's been in the ministry a while and so she helped. Um, and I just ensured that I, you know, I just asked a lot of questions, even if they seemed kind of stupid. Right, right. Um, I was like, well, I'm only going to give, you know, it, it, whether it's a stupid question or not, at least I'll get an answer and I'll be able to figure this out. And so I've had a lot of very good support, um, huge support also from the president himself, um, from the chief secretary, from the vice presidents. They've all... Um, had me in their offices asking them things and, and they've taken the time to explain things and um, so it's I think that was very helpful because we've had okay so our listeners and even just um, our, like our followers on our page we asked them like um, what questions would they have for you and one of the questions that came up was how do you navigate yourself especially as a woman mm -hmm. in politics because you know it's a male dominated field mm. how do you handle yourself in that so I think the best way for me to sort of answer that question is I just, um, I still, I don't see myself as a politician. I, you know, for me, I'm still a technocrat. There's goals that I want to achieve. And I, maybe some people will say, well, you should play the politics a bit more. Maybe you'll get more achieved. But I'm like, well, that's just not, it doesn't come naturally to me. That's not what I know, right? I didn't study okay. politics. And so I just really try to make decisions and get things done based off of the information that I have and where we as a ministry want to go and the goals that I want to achieve. So I really just um, 
try not to get involved with with the politics if if that makes sense i know it, it might not make as much i don't know if it makes sense but um you know i am i i think that i was given this role to do very specific things um in sport and art and youth and i want to do my best to to achieve that and to do that and um yeah i i have had a few people be like christy that you know that's not diplomatic enough you should have maybe said it this way and i'm like well i don't know and i'm like so i just try to be very true to who i am i've always that's okay. how i've been um and i feel that if if i ever overstep a boundary i, I know that and people have they've been like mm, christy don't say that you know um and and i think it's still a learning process but yeah the mm-hmm. best way that i can 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 just achieve the things that i think i was put here for is to just be true to myself um be as honest with the people around me as i, I as i can um do what i believe is best for zimbabwe and, and for for it, all zimbabweans um you know i'm i'm i am not affiliated to either or any of the parties um i just want to try and do what's best for our country and and for young people artists and athletes okay that's amazing and i just want to pull you back a little bit and you you mentioned where you want to take um what you're leading so the arts the sports and the youth and that's the main question that i want to ask today is where do you want to take the youth arts and sports and i'm going to maybe put a time frame on it So let's say by 2025. Yeah. What's your vision for the youth's arts and sports? Mm, that's a great question. So I think across the board I would like for in all three pillars for there to be um better platforms for youth sport and art to be recognized for them to be having voices on different issues. Right. And this is for me these are all cross cutting things right so when i say a platform it's a platform in each of them but to have better and greater platforms to showcase our talent uh whether it be young people with great ideas and talented sports people talented artists across the different genres just create and have better platforms that are recognized locally continentally and internationally so for me that's right. a good thing I then think specifically with um youth I would like for us to ensure that we are being good representatives uh, of young mm-hmm. people which to me means two things it means giving adequate space for young people to have a voice but it also right. means to ensure that we are training and educating those young people correctly whether that be in skills development whether that be in financial development whether that be in public speaking but mm-hmm. i think that those two things are are super important in sport i would like to see there being more platforms for us to talent uh, have have proper talent identification programs uh um, okay and so if we go let's, let's just go into depth about that talent yeah. identification program because mm-hmm. one thing i know is coming from you know a great school i came from peter house he came from st st george's is you really whilst you had those schools 
you realize the talent around you yeah and also the talent in the other schools yeah and we've got heaps of those yeah heaps and heaps so i love the fact that you've come up and said you know the talent identification program so yeah can you explain that a little bit more and just how that will move on yeah so um one of the main focuses for the ministry is we are looking at and we've started we've done 10 this year we were revamping community centers and they're going to be a holistic overview of the ministry so they'll have dedicated space for young people with ICT and computers and Wi-Fi, and we'll be able to run different short courses. There'll be multi-purpose courts um, and sporting facilities, and then there's a dedicated building for the arts and CCIs, the creative cultural industries. And okay. the purpose for these centers is obviously to bring and entice youth to come and get involved with the community with each other and get off and away from drugs and the bad things right um but also for us as a ministry to be able to identify talent in the different areas so in youth uh being able to identify if there's a young person that keeps coming to these centers and suddenly we find them building programs and computers and ICT stuff. It's a great way to identify and link them up with corporates and link them up with schools. The same for our sports and the same for our artists. We want to be able to have these centers where we can send national sports associations, talent identification uh, programs where they go to those centers and it's communicated within the, the the communities the the kids come we we find those talented children across the different sports and we either help set them up into clubs or into schools or get them scholarships into schools something where we're going to see them going from where they are taking that next step step art we want to be able to run different artist programs whether it's sculpting whether it's music whether it's dance uh whether it's film identify children and youth where they're young where we can work with them with partners to then elevate them and so for me okay. a lot of what i think the priority areas um especially when it comes to sport and art is having clear roles and responsibilities and let's I'll, so we have the ministry of sport we have the sport and recreation commission we have the zimbabwe olympic committee the Zimbabwe Paralympic Committee and we have all the national sports associations. Now, okay. who's responsible for what? Because we are not in an environment like in the US where you have tons of sponsors, good universities who have who pour millions and millions of dollars into their right, into right. this into this sport, right? So national associations are trying to get whatever sponsors they can and they're all fighting from the same sponsors normally. Then you have the Sport and Recreation Commission trying to do the same, Ministry trying to do the same. So we have now come up with a plan where we are going to amend the Sport Act and we're going to create a new bill uh which will speak to how we think and what roles and responsibilities each of us should play. So I firmly believe that as ministry we should be helping with talent identification and grassroots then the national federations step in alongside with the schools to then help deliver the adequate facilities or path for an athlete forward and then the sport and recreation commission the zimbabwe committee the zimbabwe paralympic committee are 
performance athletes. So we at at each mm-hmm. tier, someone is clearly the lead. We're all working together, but there's a specific lead, and I think that needs to happen with our youth when it comes to our different youth organizations. And I think it needs to happen also in the arts, where we have our different national arts gallery, our council, our film industries. You know, everyone's quite siloed. So how do we bring them together and and have like clear mandates and 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 roles and responsibilities? What I find in the ministry is we get a budget for sport, and then we try and drip feed everyone and everything, grassroots, high high performance, the. And it just, right, it's right. not enough to go around, right? Yeah. And so we've got to be more pragmatic and, and more um, specified as what we're going to do. And well, I think... Go. Exactly. And again, I come back to sport because it's just easier to explain. But with sports, just like with youth and art, we have to um, be able to say, right, as Zimbabwe, what are we historically built for in sport? Okay, that's a good start. It might not be men's soccer. <laughs> you know, we have sent a, 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 a male marathon runner to every single Olympic Games for the past, like, 40 or 50 years. Mm-hmm. Why are we not putting money into our marathon? Our top place has been sixth and seventh at the Olympic Games with no funding, with very and, little funding. And do you realize yeah. that this is the first time, sorry to cut you off, that I've heard that? That the yeah. fact that Zimbabwe is coming sticks in a marathon game. And as proud as I am for my gold medals, we also have a, mar- uh, a runner um, who has two gold medals from the Paralympic Games. Did you know that? No, I did not. <laughs> Elliot Mujaji is our two, has two gold medals, I think from the same Olympic Games as me. I could be wrong, but 2004, 2008, two gold medals. Uh, I forget his event, um, but it's, I think it's 200 or 400 meter. And Mm -hmm. we just, we've not done anything with that, you know, and there's just, and that's because, and I, I don't want to sound, you know, soccer is always going to be our national game, but it doesn't mean that that's where we're going to get the best exposure. And, and I, I, I explain, you know, our men's team, we have great talent. And maybe this also comes back to governance and how organizations are run. But our right. men's team, um, we have so much talent. And we don't give our athletes the right fundamental training. We expect them to play Algeria. Uh, but they uh, will only all brought back together a week before. How does that, how, how, how is it? Don't make sense. Supposed no. to, how, like that blows my mind. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, our women's national side who qualified for the Rio 2016 Olympic Games. That was incredible. Yeah, I, mean, I watched a bit of that. And, yeah. and, and then we come back from the games and the women's soccer funding is cut. Blows my mind. I'm like, what? Ah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think there needs to be clearer roles and re- responsibilities of the different stakeholders across youth, sport, and art. And, and that, for me, is a big push for 2021. And I think that will then allow us to achieve our sort of goals in, in 2025, where we want to see better platforms for youth, better sports facilities, better art facilities. You know, all of those things will come. 
but until we sort out the the, the foundations, um, we we just aren't. You know, it's like a, a foundation that's made out of wood planks without cementing it. It's just filtering right. through. We're never building anything further than the ground. Okay, so my question here is: so what I've realized um, from my time is that Zimbabweans have a lot of talent coming out of school. But a lot of that talent leaks out to foreign countries because everyone is going to foreign countries for education. And within that education, they're probably going to get some sporting um, uh, sponsorship because they are talented from what they did back mm. home. Now, me analyzing what goes on this side is they make sure they take care of every single sport athlete in school and they have a structure in place that feeds them into national sports from high school, college and whatnot. So is that something that we're going to look at? Because I feel a lot of Zimbabwean talent is leaking out of the country because everyone, um, as soon as we finish high school, wants to go out for education or something and they take their talents yeah. with them. And those talents are the ones that are needed to you know, to support our teams. So is there something that is in place or coming in place to protect that talent and also at the same time to be able to, should I say monetize and make it lucrative enough for them to attract the people to stay home and actually commit to fighting for the country and, and playing for the country in whatever sport mm -hmm. it is. Because I feel a lot of people are just going out and we're losing a lot of talent when Zimbabweans could really create such an amazing force in yeah. sport. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's sort of a two-pronged approach for for where mm -hmm. we are as, as a country and where we want to go with, with Vision 2030. I think that it has to be a bit of both at this point. I think we will always um, you'll always find athletes going um, you know outside. So take me for example leave necessarily okay. because I wanted to go and get education. I left and have anyone else my age that I could train with and that was better than me. And so therefore I was not going to get any better if I remained at home. And okay. that is also sports specific, right? Uh, we have a much bigger pool in cricket, in rugby, in soccer. So there might not, there's not that need to really, you know, potentially leave if the structures were in place for it to be financially, place, yeah. you know, viable. I think there's, uh, so when I say a two-pronged approach, I think while we are looking at how do we set up systems similar to, let's say, the U.S., where you've got your junior school, your senior school, your universities, and those are steps just as they are for education, they are for sport. You you will for go sport, to a right. specific university for sport because that university is known to have the best coaches for swimming, the best coaches for basketball, the best coaches for American football, whatever it is, right? So if we can come up with right. a similar foundation where University of Zimbabwe is known for their soccer and their tennis, and half of those players are then into the national team, and the university um, in, in Chinoy is known for its basketball and there's focuses on that, um, then yes, I think there can be 
uh, that will help nationally, it will help regionally, it will help continentally. But there's got to be a decision within our universities um, and, and from our leadership that sport is just as important as an education, right? And that we can we can really, because that is what the U.S. does. They, they put that equal. It is equal. They're, they're athletes. Sport is equal. Yeah, and sometimes the sport is more. more. It's actually more. <laughs> um, and That's so I think they're for, for Zimbabwe, and it's not just Zimbabwe. Mo many African countries, many Asian countries, um, you, the mindset that sport and art are still not legitimate avenues for our sons and daughters to to make into a career right we have and we need right. so i think when i was saying a two-pronged approach yes we can change the structures to fit whatever mm -hmm. but unless we are changing our mentality locally um from parents from grandparents from our peers that within sport and within art you can make a living it can be a it's a billion dollar industry why are we not taking it and i love that right right and i love the fact that you brought that up because um i say this from a perspective of somebody who was actually an athlete in sport uh, in school uh i used to swim as well but my parents never saw it as anything yeah. really it was more you were you just you're just swimming at school but you know focus on your on your books that's, yeah. that's what's gonna yeah. take you forward you know what i mean yeah and uh, so, so i mean i was very fortunate um that my parents were super supportive in korea but you know some people say oh well that's mm -hmm. just because you have white parents i'm like uh no because i have a lot of white friends who were you know, yeah. that, you know, had talent in many sports and their parents were like, uh-uh, O level. No. You, you yeah. can do that later. <laughs> so it's not a black or white thing, let me tell you. It is our culture. Exactly. It is exactly. an African thing, an African thing. I see it in Asia as well. Uh, um, Eastern and Western Asia. Totally. That is just, it's, it's something that, you know, maybe it goes back to the, you know but it's something that was just put so much importance on and i must say my parents they it's not like they said no that's not important but they were like you need to balance it you need to figure it out my coaches at university if you mm -hmm. were getting anything below a c if you're getting a d e or f you didn't travel you didn't travel on team tours on team for team weekends and team um, meets and stuff you stayed at home until your grades got up so they placed importance on, on right. an education because, you know, they always said at that, at that level, they're like, you could get injured tomorrow and you're done. What are you going to do? You know, and so you done. have to be able to right. fall back onto something. And it's not, so me saying this is not that education is not important. That's not what I'm saying, but there can be a balance mm -hmm. and there can be a shift. And also when we talk about sports in particular, I'm not saying that the only avenue is an athlete. You could be a team manager, you could be a coach, you mm -hmm. could be a do sports doctor, you could be a sports physio, you could be a sports analyst, you could be a sports reporter, you could be a sports whatever. There is so 
that's that's that two-pronged approach because we have a lot of um, willingness from our leadership, from the president, from my colleague within the Minister of Higher and Tertiary. They, everyone gets the importance of sport, but it's how do we now educate everyone else around it can't, there can be so much more value. Um, and I think there's also recognition that not all of us need to go to college and, and, and well, and it's just not even likely, but we're not all going to go to college and walk out the other side with honors and right. thing, you know, you can walk out with your degree and, and, and still have a great job. And actually, Fortune 500 companies now, um, in one of their latest reports, when they get 500 applicants applying, they're not looking for degrees. They're looking for what sport you played. Where did you do volunteerism? Have you started something up on your own? Do you have any entre entrepreneurships? Um, and for sport, they're looking at sport because it tells them, did they play a team sport? Did they play an individual sport? What soft skills? Fortune 500 companies are hiring young people off of the soft skills that they have acquired, not just off of a degree. Education. And that's, 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 that's superb because this, has, this is close to home for me because I'm still in the process of getting my degree. Um, but the position I hold now is something that somebody with a master's yeah. would have. And when you're looking at that perspective, it's based off of a phone call that I had with somebody. Mm. Off that phone call, we spoke and he asked me about, he didn't ask me about my education, he didn't ask me about my knowledge. He just asked me about my past and my culture and my history. And what's crazy is that when I told him I was actually from Zimbabwe, he said, do you want to come in and meet me? And he said the reason why he actually told me to come and meet him was because he actually heard that Zimbabweans are very, very literate. Yeah. And hard work. And he wanted to see if that yeah. was true. He wanted to see if that yeah. was true. And we did, I did prove him right. And that's something that I'm realizing is that we have such a huge advantage that we mm. don't use. Yeah. Zimbabweans have such a huge advantage that we don't use because we are brought up with such brilliant knowledge, acumen, literacy, yeah. English, manners, yes. respect, <laughs> discipline. Yeah. Because if I tell you the other day, my lecturer said to me, your manners are outstanding. <laughs> If I was back home, that's normal. That's normal. Yeah. <laughs> that if you're that's not normal. acting that way, you're in like detention. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, you know I mean? do you know I so I have a friend of mine who is in South Africa and he said to me a few months or probably at the beginning of this year or last year, and he always jokes. Um, because he says he says, Kirsty, if all Zimbabweans that are working in our hospitality had to come back to Zimbabwe, South Africa would shut down. Their tourism would shut down, their hotels would shut down, their restaurants would shut down. Why? Because so many Zimbabweans are in that industry and are so valued because of their passion and their commitment and their hard work. And that is something that wherever you go 
anywhere in the world, if, if a Zimbabwean, if you have met a Zimbabwean and you've worked with a Zimbabwean, you know the caliber of people that we are. And you're very right. We don't give ourselves the right acknowledgement um, that we can go and achieve whatever it is that we want to achieve because of the upbringing that we've had across all of Zimbabwe, whether it was in urban or rural. We ha- we are There's the same bunch of principles. You're always, doesn't matter where you are in this country, you are, res- you are taught from a very young age to always respect your elders, no matter what. You always take right. you always no take your hat off to a, to a lady who walks past, to a gogol who walks past, whoever it is. You are taught that no matter where you are, and those kind of um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but those things that are built within us are things that we should be proud of. Those principles, those principles. exactly. And you know. I love the fact that we're touching on this because there is no day that I don't dream of putting all my effort that I'm putting this side into yeah. home. And I want to call this something to stop the leak. And I want to say stop the leak because we are leaking mm-hmm. so much talent yeah. out of the country that could be benefiting yeah. the country. So how can we prevent the leak of future talent from escaping the country because that talent is a talent that can change our future and shape Zimbabwe to grow yeah. the way it should grow. And if we keep letting the leak happen, we will keep building other nations whilst we watch our nation yeah. grow down. So what structure can we put in place to stop that leak, to make mm-hmm. it attractive, to stay in the country, invest in whatever it is you want to invest, whether it's sport, art, entrepreneurship, whatever it is, but what can we do to make it attractive for the youth straight after college or well, high school to say, okay, I'm going to stay in Zimbabwe. I'm going to go to a Zimbabwean university. If that is the path, or I'm going to go to a Zimbabwean academy mm. sport, or I'm just going to start a business in Zimbabwe and what um, vehicles and groups and different types of areas can we put mm. into place to mentor these individuals in order for us to stop that leak because I know tons of people that have so much skill that are leaking out of Zimbabwe and I would love to work with those people but they're all over the, mm. the world but if we were in Zimbabwe we could mm. create wonders so I think and that's the that's the thing how can I think we have to be um I think we have to be super realistic right the country right is going through a lot of change and and I think some good changes, but I think it's going to take Mm -hmm. time. And I think this is what a lot of people forget. It, it didn't just happen. We didn't get to this point in a year. It took a long time, right? It took a lot of, a lot of bad governance and a lot of hardships and a lot of, you know, even bad decisions to get to this point. And it is going to take some time to get out. And I think that, and and maybe this is me speaking with more of a minister's hat on, to say that we as government Mm -hmm. has to earn the trust back from people who are outside. And I think the way in which you do that and the way in which you start to show 
and gain confidence back from diaspora, from young people, is allow people to go, mm-hmm. allow people to get that exposure and say, let's start small. Mm-hmm. You don't need to come back right away to Zimbabwe, but lend us okay. your time. Give us two hours every week to mentor a young person who hasn't had and doesn't have the um, funding or the finance or the opportunity to leave, but has just as much talent. Give us that time. Give us that mentorship. Start a small business or a small foundation while you're still working, while you're still overseas, while you're still doing that, and, and allow us to show you that there's change happening and that there's confidence coming back. So don't put all your eggs, because I think that's what most people are worried about. They're like, well, if we come back and put all our eggs into one basket, and let me tell you, if you parents who don't have the opportunity to leave, but they've managed to do everything they can to send you abroad, they're probably saying, are you crazy? Don't you even think about coming back here? You stay there, you, you know, look after you and your family. And so I think this is where we have to be realistic. Let's not say everyone needs to come back and do this and do this. Let's just start small. If you can come back and start something small and support people locally and start giving off time while you're still there and, you know, getting great opportunities, at some point you will realize that, okay, yes, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm believing in the structures that government are putting into place. I can see that the things are starting to work. I can see the roads are better. I can see this is better. I can see young people are starting to have more of a voice and things are starting to change. And then come back when, you, when we've gained your confidence back. Does that make sense? That, that makes a lot of sense. I think that really home because that's the situation I found myself in when even establishing corporate Zen. Mm. And that you're outside, but you still want to, you, you said, create something small. And just the fact that you should, to give each other like a platform to even bridge the gap. Between, yeah. You see, what we're trying to do, even with corporatism, is bridging the gap between the diaspora. So those who find skills. Yeah. And people like Joe, right. know, people who are working out there. And whatever knowledge they've gained, you know, to pass on that knowledge. Yeah, home. exactly. And at yeah. the same time, people who are back home can also show them investment opportunities back like here like exactly i mean my, my friend was doing um peanut butter mm. and you know while 30 40 dollars um that side of the world where i'm in in canada yeah doesn't take me a lot yeah this side of the world like it can do a lot for his business yeah and i used to just used to give him 20 30 dollars a month mm. and i was like if i can create a platform where different entrepreneurs can come and advertise their business the diaspora has an idea of what's going on. Mm. Because the problem is when you're in the diaspora, a lot of the news that you're reading oh, is a lot of yeah. negative news. Yeah. And you you almost think that there's nothing going on at home. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Are, I mean I was actually, in the States when in, in college in two thousand and four. So in the early two thousands when things were not good when mm-hmm. the racial tensions were were high, when white farmers were being kicked off my my mom's side of the family had farms. My right. uncles were all kicked off and stuff. And you have to know that when you're sitting in the U.S. and they're showing you this footage, I was on the phone to them daily. Like, are you okay? Like, what's happening? Because you think there's like 
Wolf, Wolf, three <laughs> happening, right? You think it's, you think it's um, in the world well, going old on, footage, right? It's not the right footage. No, nothing like that has happened. And yes, we all know the past. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the other thing. We have to talk about it very openly and freely in order to be able to really move forward, right? That's um, something, yeah. We have to acknowledge it. It is what it is. And, and we shouldn't hide it. I look and I, I've said this to so many people. I, you, you go to China and you go to Japan. Their history is displayed for you in museums. And it's not that they are right. proud of some of the decisions that they made as a country. But they know that it's where it got them today. And we have to do the same. Um, but I, I, I think you're, on, you're, you're 100% right. We've got to be able to create platforms that will give confidence to people in the diaspora, to Zimbabweans in the diaspora, that things are happening and that young people here deserve to have a chance. Um, and someone, I, I'm trying to remember the wording that he said, but um, he, he said uh, at, at one, is a Zimbabwean and he's working in, in California for, for Google. Um, and he said, talent is everywhere, okay. opportunities are not. And we have to create those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see like with you guys, right. you, what you're trying to do is bridging that gap is hopefully through this and through linking diaspora, people in the diaspora with what young people or sport people or artists are doing here, they will, those opportunities will become greater. Okay. Because we have to figure out how do we mm -hmm. create those those opportunities. Because he's so right. There's talent everywhere. And when you get an opportunity, you just grab it and you run with it. Okay, so now that we've we brought this idea of stopping the leak, I'm just gonna call it stopping the leak. Right. What 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 systems can we put in place now uh, between the three of us that we can say can start a program or whatever we're going to call it, where we get people in the diaspora to link with people in Zimbabwe, especially because it's actually pretty funny because I have a junior who was, he was in D block. So form one, when I was in form six and he messaged me the other day on Instagram and, you know, coming from Peter, seniority type of thing. Yeah. Why know, would you junior message me? Is like, you were my, no. my little, what is spouse <laughs> that would run around and do everything. Right. So he just said to me, how's life after school? And that's oh, a very, very simple question. <laughs> yeah. Very deep. And I sat down and I just said, wow. This is the type of question that I should have been asking before I even, you know, left school. And no one really told me um, what life after school is. Everyone, it's kind of like in Zimbabwe, there's like a framework for you before you're born. You go to junior school, high school, yeah. university, and then, you know what I mean? So when he messaged me that, I just said to him, you know, mm. it's what you want to make it. Yeah. Is what you want to make it. So if you want to go into education, you go into education. If you want to go into sport, you go into sport. Because you're saying he's undecided at the same time his parents want him to do, become a doctor. And, but he doesn't want to do that. But he's clever, yeah. but he doesn't want to do that. But obviously yeah. there's that conflict in culture. And we've been always taught that, that and that. So now it's a matter of shifting mentorship. It's not that he doesn't like his parents or he doesn't love his parents. 
But just that they're not on the same wavelength. And there's nothing wrong with not being yeah. on the same la- uh, wavelength with your parents. It's... You just need to get on the same wavelength with people yeah. that are on your wavelength. And that's where you can elevate and in- eventually you can eventually help your parents because you've got it on the same wavelength with people that are yeah. you know on your wavelength. So how can we create that program to reach out to people outside to bring those opportunities or to bring that knowledge to especially feed mm. the youngsters that are coming out of college mm. and give those people the knowledge to maybe change their minds and start working in Zimbabwe or start investing in Zimbabwe and we start mm. you know liaising with each other from outside and yeah. inside in a so way I think to build two things first while you were talking all i could think about is i i can't even remember I think if you asked me to do long division I'd be like how <laughs> and I have a daughter who's 19 <laughs> months and I am so scared for when she goes to school because I'm going to have to get tutors because I'm like I don't remember any of that stuff I don't we don't I don't use it I, I, I couldn't tell you one thing from like junior school that I actually use I mean um right. or even university at this point I'm not even anywhere close to my major my major was in hospitality <laughs> and business management I mean I mean yeah maybe management mm-hmm. stuff but it's it's so funny but so I think one of the concrete things that if you said the three of us could do I think things like this podcast where you would get and bring diaspora mm-hmm. who would be talking about a specific um uh what is it called a specific sector and giving top tips right. top tips to young people and we share that on platforms and we we do that and we do town halls and we somehow download the the links and share them on do a, you know a huge big group whatsapp um and that i think is so beneficial um access to information is is powerful access to be able right. to listen to young people who are in the same situation whether it's here or there um whether they're trying to become doctors whether they're trying to become sports people you generally are facing the same challenges it doesn't matter if you're in Zimbabwe or in the US it might be slightly different but at the end of the day you're going to be fa- you're going to find some commonalities and i think if we can right. find uh, platforms and podcasts are, are a great thing because you can do a recording and you can you know split it up and you can do one of three or one of four mm-hmm. and you can send it out on groups um and so so i think that for me is a is something that's quick and easy and it can be done done quickly and that will hopefully then have follow through right where you then we fi- figure out mm-hmm. ways maybe we there's ways in which to get corporates involved and you bring some of these diaspora back and and you have them go and talk to to other Zimbabweans and and it, and it's like an inspirational you know because I think that's a, that's that's what I think a lot of young people and sports people and artists need they need access to top mm-hmm. artists and athletes and and I'm tired of us always celebrating the I don't know I'm not a big soccer person Ronaldo's <laughs> you know when we have our right. own Ronaldo's <laughs> you know, exactly. he's, yeah. he's doing so good Tino's doing so good and so those are the things like 
how marvelous. marvelous you know like Nakapa. how do we um you know how do we just start celebrating more of our own achievements I love that. um and and create those platforms and 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 just you know inspire young people to um i i was running my foundation which i stopped when i got this mm-hmm. the position because it was trying to figure out was was hopefully restarting it next year but it was like one of those like how do i now raise money for my foundation where i'm a minister what am i going to be accused of <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, um but i um i took um a couple of uh, of our our soccer players um into Chinguiza and and it was like the kids were like oh my god i mean it was so awesome and i was like this is what we need like we need to be able to like celebrate right. our own uh in in a good way i love that and i think that's what incorporating is about celebrating our success stories sharing yeah. our success stories i liked even what you pointed out when no i i found it interesting and i would like to know because i would like you cuz you're probably one of the most successful people i personally know and um on your path and on your uh, route to success and everything you've achieved um how important is it to um to, i like to call it ignore the noise and like focus mm. on whatever it is yeah because like even when you the speak about the foundation mm. especially as a minister as a public official like just dealing with everybody speak you know you were like an athlete you were yeah. loved everybody loved you you know and now you go into a public uh, like position and you know how do you deal with all this negativity and you know the yeah so i'll answer in two in two parts first off i think um so when i was growing up and i was 9 years old i i just watched the um 92 olympic games in barcelona and i remember i and i told my parents i was like i want to go to the olympics and i want to win a gold medal and they're like okay uh, and then they're like you know what that is i was like yeah i could do it you know you're nine you're like i'm going to take on the world i'm going to be a princess and an astronaut and um you know and and i i remember going to school the following year the following few years and you know telling people i'm going to go to the olympic games and they're like oh yeah sure you look how skinny you are you know i was bullied so bad i would go home and cry every day and mm-hmm. and i realized that my parents would say just ignore them just ignore them my dad was like you make a fist and you just punch them in the nose my mom's like girls don't punch um and so um you know i i realized i think early on as hard as it was is that you are not always going to have people around you or people at school or at work that are going to support you or or believe in you so it's really important that you find those few people that you can have around you that will support you and that will be by your side and that will let you cry on their shoulder and that will tell you everything's going to be okay and it doesn't need to be a lot of people it can be your parents grandparents a teacher mm-hmm. it can be a spouse it can be siblings it can be a few good friends um and growing up you know it's so funny at school um i w- i was not the popular kid 
and um mm-hmm. I, I was popular when it came to sport because they were like oh good you're bonus races you know <laughs> but in terms of like the cool kids popular kids that was not me mm-hmm. and um it's it's so funny though because when i won my first medal uh olympic medals and i came back the 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 people that were so mean were like my best friends like hugging me and i'd be like eh, excuse me girlfriend you wouldn't even say hello to me at school oh. like back up who do you think you are and it's so funny and you know you talk about like life after school you know people that never would have given you yeah. the time of day they they talk as though you know you were best friends and i'm like let's get one thing straight you were never my best friend yeah exactly yeah it was never um, like that but it comes down to knowing and just having you know that that team around you and in sport in the olympic movement we call it your entourage mm-hmm. your your doctors your sports mm-hmm. your coaches your teammates your entourage you know the people that are closest to you and you've got to build a big strong team around you in order to do that you need to know your weaknesses as well and 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 have people around you that you know mm-hmm. like for me i would always go to my dad because i if whenever i was upset or angry or frustrated or uh my aunt and uncle actually at, at christmas dinner last week they reminded me that in beijing in 2008 i was so frustrated because i i had i'd won three silvers and i had wanted gold so three silvers for me was a failure i walked away from beijing with four four medals but it was a failure of an event for me because i wanted four golds and i know it's hard it it sounds i'm not trying to sound like pompous i apparently it was just i that's what i wanted and they reminded me that i had gotten on the phone and i was on the phone with my dad for about 45 minutes because i was just all over the place but he was before my husband he was always the person that i would go to because my mom would just be just as emotional as me so it would be useless talking oh. to her because she'd be like what so sorry and she'd be crying and i'd be crying okay. where you know my dad is that calm he'd be like just walking through and he's like okay i know but this is this and this is what maybe this person felt and this is what your coach is going through so for me he when i'm saying got to know your weaknesses i knew for me that if i get disappointed and i lost a race i would be super angry and 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 pissed off and not happy and i'd be able to go to him and he'd be that calm collective sound you know that voice that you need to just calm you down and see things rationally um and know that if i need to if i need to vent i go to my mom because she's great she helps me vent right um so i think you need to know that and i think for me like tino you mentioned the transition right and even when i was an athlete yes the the majority of messages were positive but there were some some negative um and those hit me hard you know and and especially when you're an athlete and 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 it was although everyone still loved me for about the first few months of being minister because everyone was so excited <laughs> um and then the politics happened right and then you had very vocal um people on on both from 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 different parties saying things and and vocalizing things and um and you ask you know how do i how did i deal with that well i didn't it was awful um it, i took it very personally it started negatively impacting my work and what i was doing um and it got to a point where 
I think it was a June this year, where I just had had enough, and so I went off social media. It's been the best thing ever. <laughs> I don't miss Twitter. Um, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like my husband asked me the other day. He's like, "Well, I think we need to start getting back on there." I was like, "Why?" It is. It has become it's such. And I think I actually listened to. Uh, I can't remember if it was a podcast or something where the founders of Facebook and Twitter were talking, and they're like, "This is not. We did not create it to be an activism platform. We created it for these reasons to 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 bring people to unite people. And it's so divisive right now. It's gone completely the opposite to where they thought it was going. Right? And for me, that also was a big realization. And since being off of that platform, specifically Twitter, Twitter for whatever reason in Zim is just <laughs> full of hatred. And when people started talking negatively about my daughter, for me that was a no-no. I was like, I, you know, for me that was it. I, I that for me capped it. I was like, I don't want to hear what you have to say because it's so negative that it was impacting me because I took it so personally because I'm a people pleaser. I wanna, I want people to be happy with everything and try and um, reading some of the comments and it's it's not even like. Oh, you suck! It's like hatred, you know, and just no boundaries. No boundaries. I mean, it was just right. awful. And it also came. I think what really hurt me was it came from people that I actually knew or thought that I had, even if it was an acquaintance that I thought knew me very well and I thought knew my values very well. Okay. And when that started happening, I just was like, I'm done. I I, I can no longer. Listen to that because it was impacting what I was trying to do because I was so drained and it was making me feel negative. And yeah, I so I just um, stepped away, and it's been such a good break. And I don't know if I ever want to come back. <laughs> um, no. Can you guys hear how windy it is? No. Can you hear it? <laughs> oh yeah! Please like don't have faking. an earthquake on this. This would, this would freak me out. Apparently, we had an earthquake like a month ago, but I was too asleep. <laughs> but just, I want to just change the mood a little bit. So I was speaking to a friend the other day, and he's doing pretty well. And I asked him, you know, why don't you mention Zimbabwe a lot? In what you do, and he said, "To be honest, Joe, I love my country, mm. but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to speak about it outside of my country because I feel when I do speak about it, and people research on it, they might look down upon me. And you know, I sat back and I and I and I and I, and I kind of." Thought about what he said, and I said, "Okay, you've got a point, because there are things to be embarrassed about." Yeah. But then, what country doesn't have yeah. negativity? I mean, look at the U.S. Look at the U.S. History. You know what I mean? Look at the Chinese this... history, the Japanese history, the Russian history. I mean, every country has. No one's perfect. Um, no one's perfect. And I. But I, you know, do you know what I I think is I think that we've we've never done a good enough job about talking about it. 
where, like I said earlier, when you go to Japan, mm-hmm. when you go to China, when you go to the US, it's all there. All, all the bloodshed, all the wars, all the, all the mm-hmm. whatever. It's open. It's there. It's in museums. It, it's spoken about. They are mm-hmm. taught about it in, in school. You know, okay, it's great. In school, you know, we talk, we, but we don't really talk about our history, especially our recent history. That's another thing. We don't talk about it. You know, land grabbing or the, the war to gain independence. I wasn't, I didn't learn, you know, I love, I love sitting down with people who fought in the war and I'm like, tell me what it was like. Tell me, what did you do? Like, I don't have, you know, like, why are we not talking about that? You know, we, and, and that I think because we don't talk about it, it makes sense that someone would be like, oh, well, I'm embarrassed because it would for us to say yeah Zimbabwe and you know we've had hard times and in the 70s and and, uh, 60s and 70s and 80s this is what happened and you know our president sat our president of today sat in prison for 10 years and then he was released into Zambia and this and that and like how many people even know that that? you know we don't talks about it so at least we know our history how do we be proud of mm-hmm. of of anything? Um, I was actually speaking about that because we are actually just as the youth, just even just how do people identify themselves as Zimbabweans? Like it's almost yeah. like we don't really have our own identity. I mean, like yeah. even in terms of like we speak on culture because you know that's part of the portfolio, and like what actually is our culture? What's our history? And like a lot of these things is we know Western cultures, we know Western history better than we know our own culture and history. And I think this is what one of the exactly. one of those things that goes on to impact us. And that's why it's easy for you to feel embarrassed. I feel once because of my situation and having both my parents fight in the war and just being able to identify with a lot of Zimbabwean history, it makes me proud to be Zimbabwean. Mm. Because I know where we come from. It's very hard for you to identify with something you don't understand. Yeah. You don't fully you fully encompass everything on Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to do a better job of, of um, and especially to young people, right? Our age groups. Um, we have to do a better job of talking about how we got to where we are today. Regardless, and, and I think that's, I can't remember, but I'm sure it was someone famous that said, if you don't know where you've come from, how do you know where you want to go? Absolutely. Right? Um, and so That's I think, true. and it is one of the, the, um, the decisions that, that government are, are putting together to say, right, how do we talk about it? How do we package it? What kind of museum do we want? Um, and I, and I, I referenced this to somebody the other day, we were talking about museums and I asked, I was like, hey, well, have you, have you been to the apartheid museum in South Africa in Johannesburg? And they said, well, no, I'm like, well, you need to go, you need to go and look at it. And I actually couldn't even finish the the full tour. It, it was too way too emotional, uh, but it made it also more emotional because I had a British friend with me. He had no idea. So he knew, you know, like he knew what was happening, but only what they were being told in England. And so 
when he right. was there and we were walking through, I mean, he's he's like a big athlete. He was just in tears, like could could not like control himself. And um, I think it gave him such a different, pers- more of an open mind perspective because he couldn't understand why Africa was sort of saying, well, you know, colonialism and the UK, why are you doing this? And just, you know, it's enough. Like we, you know, he, he couldn't fully get why. And then he went through that museum and he was like, huh. And you see raw footage of videos of, okay. of, of what happened on the streets in South Africa. And, and we're, I, I'm grateful that in Zimbabwe, we didn't have to go to that extent. Right. Like, and we have to be grateful for that. Right. Yeah. Um, but we still need to be able to showcase that and talk mm-hmm. about it and 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 know those things. Um, but yeah, I think I'm now repeating myself. <laughs> but it's important, and it's 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 also important for okay, us so... to tell our own stories. Why are we? Al- you know, like what your what your friend said. He's yeah. like, oh well, I'm not proud because when people go and research. They research the research they're getting is not coming from Zimbabweans. It's not coming from Zimbabweans it's who exactly in the war, whether white or black. It's coming from an outside perspective that is always, from what I've learned, is always going to be leaning one way or another, depending on the interests that are involved. Of right. So just to take out the external out of that, and if I'm a, a person today, part of the youth sports art, how do I have access to the ministry? You just walk straight sports, to up to my, art. you walk up to, up to, to my get my questions across and you get an appointment <laughs> and you come and ask any of the directors and we've got email addresses and Okay, so, so where is the building? We're on so 4th where, and Nelson Mandela, right on the corner. And we've got a big sign that says yeah. Ministry of Youth, Sport, <laughs> Art and Recreation. It was like the first thing I got put up. Because <laughs> no one knew where we were. Okay, so that's great. So for our listeners, they, you can get yeah. access to, to the Ministry of Youth. It's just that a matter of, I don't think people know that they can do yeah. that. Or people are just afraid of doing that. So and obviously with COVID, I we've feel not been accepting with... people just walking off the street just because we were like as a staff and, and as a government, mm. we reduced numbers of staff. And so we just didn't have the capacity to have people coming off the street. But what they would do is they would walk in and they would sign up. So I'm saying like for next year, right? If you have a young person or sports person or arts person or someone just wanting to come in, they would come in, they would write their name, which department and their question, and that would get filtered through up to the Department of Youth, Sport or Art, or if there was a particular question on youth empowerment or vocational training centers or whatever it is, it would go to that department and that department would get back in touch with that person um, and then it would eventually get elevated uh, up to me or if someone wanted to come in and get a meeting with me again they would write it down and it comes directly to my office um, and my office would then get in touch with that person or that organization and see who they are and obviously do a bit of background work 
for security reasons and stuff. And then people would, we would set up appointments or calls or whatever it is. Okay, so now that technology has kind of accelerated and gone into 10th gear because of COVID. Is there a way that the ministry can now utilize yeah. things like Zoom, where maybe, you know, instead of people having to come across and set appointments and all this type of stuff, is there a website yeah, so or is we there have, a place that we can come in yeah, and, so you know, set those appointments? Website um and zoom as far as okay. zoom what we've done and what we were doing but obviously with the end of the year and budgets and stuff i need to sorry what's the ministry website it's just mysa.gov. Uh, that's not that's not good that i don't know the full thing but <laughs> let me get it for you now i'll come back well yeah we'll, exactly we'll, we can put we'll it edit in that out proper we'll one. Put that in. but um yeah so the but okay. for zoom what we were doing is every two two weeks i was doing a zoom call with young people and i would invite different ministers that they so just like okay. a little town hall and we had 200 mm -hmm. different youth from that's around the country yeah, joining um di we had some diaspora joining and so that's yeah you see i didn't hear about this yeah. I would have loved to be. Maybe if I was on social media, you would have heard and, about it. You know, so that's... Our, our, our ministry social media is still growing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, I yeah. feel it's time for us to exploit the technology because I think it's COVID has yeah. accelerated so us good. miles of years ahead as compared to if we didn't have COVID. Yeah. I and I think we could benefit from that. So... So I feel it's time for us to allow access to the youngsters and they give us what they want and we react based on what they want as well and what we feel as well to guide them through. Because I feel it's, it's we're past that time where it's yeah. a matter of autocratic, but now we just have to understand that, you know, you might be young, but yeah. these days people are growing up at a very young age and they're becoming yeah. very, very, very yeah. intellectually intelligent. So I would love to see that integration happen where we can get our youth to start talking with the ministry and we can start getting content, especially with the ministry. I mean, if we can collaborate with the ministry mm -hmm. and cool. we can produce that content through Incorporate, well, I know that would we've be brilliant. Really spoken uh, about but that with but we want to see how we can just leverage this and start mm -hmm. working closer together and um yeah linking linking mm -hmm. linking these these two so guys i've got about five more minutes because <laughs> I'm, yeah that's fine that's why i'm wrapping up with okay, okay <laughs> where can we get access like, to you uh, yeah i'm watching the time here yeah. i was supposed to be on another call a few minutes ago no it's all right um so yeah that's basically so for for the listeners um we, i will put in the description the the website and the specifics yeah. to how we can start getting access to that and in future we'll obviously update you through our incorporate zim with how we we'll work with the ministry in order to start engaging people but you know it's been an honor to have you and i was speaking to tino before the 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 podcast because i thought we were having him on friday um and then he texted me and i was actually in the park because i was 
writing up a deal that I have, I have a meeting in the morning at seven. And he said to me, <laughs> we're doing it at, in an hour. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in the park. <laughs> so that's why he texted me. I was like, are you driving home? I was driving home now. Um, so yeah, but I just love the fact that this is something that's happening because I really want to see the youth build up yeah. and grow and Zimbabwe to grow because that is home. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm here and it's yeah. all that. An absolute it's not pleasure having you. I, I can't even say Kirsty because I feel like... No, you have to say Kirsty. <laughs> huh? on first name basis, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Young people chatting. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. And I think just before you leave, um, we'll just have you say like a, a, a parting message to uh, the youth who are hearing this. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, thanks thanks to you guys. I, I love the opportunity. Um, as you can see, I love to chat and talk. So you probably have to edit quite a bit on <laughs> to make it into you know, a shorter piece. Um, but my message to young people, and it's the same message that I, that I gave when I was swimming is you need to have your own self-belief. Um, self-belief is, is so powerful. Never lose that. Never lose your self-belief and, mm -hmm. and work hard and, and, and sacrifice you, you in no matter where you are or who you are. Um, or how big or small your bank accounts are, you always, you will have to sacrifice and work hard in order to get, and when I say sacrifice, I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. talking about sacrificed food or sacrifice, you know, I'm talking about there are going to be decisions that you will have to make, which you choose one path over another. Mm -hmm. And it might be as simple as, well, if I choose to go to my sibling's birthday party tonight, I know I'm going to not get enough sleep and I have a really important meeting tomorrow or I have an exam tomorrow or I've got to get up and train tomorrow. That is what I'm talking about. It's the small, those mm -hmm. small decisions. It's, so maybe sacrifice isn't the right word, but make the small right decisions for you in order to keep your self-belief to achieve your goals that's amazing i mean for our listeners But Kirsty, thank, thank you for you. coming well, on. It's, it's, it's been time. brilliant. Sure and we'll do we kept this you again all the time. And well. we'll, we'll chat some more. Definitely not. Definitely not. But yeah. But this has just been brilliant and eye opening yeah, good. and productive. Productive. And I just hope now we can take the next step and not just stop here. Because yeah. it's now a matter of keep us moving you know, forward. Go to keep going. And I hope and that that's where you, we need thank to start. Thank you for going. getting up in the middle yeah. of the night. <laughs> I hope you stay warm. <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear that you're a true Zimbabwean and you yeah, don't like right. cold. I always find it weird when I find Zimbabweans and they're like, yeah, the no, and they're like we love it. I'm like, are you insane? I ran yeah. away from the cold. I but I, I hope that, I hope you've got your weird. <laughs> keeping you warm. Stay safe. All right. Thank you.